Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you would join with me in your Bible, the one you brought, or your Bible app, or the Pew Bible, our text today is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Let us now hear the words of the Lord for us this morning. For the promise that he would inherit to the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants from the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it's adherence to the law, for if adherence to the law of who were to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there transgression. For this reason, the promise depends on faith in order that, in, in order that it may rest on grace so that it may be guaranteed to his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but those who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom we believe, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations. According to what was said, so shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, and the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words it was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Most holy and loving God, We come this morning to worship and to praise you. We come during this hour bringing our petitions, singing our praises with our offering in hand from the labor of our hands which you have provided this week. We have celebrated the sacrament. We have declared our faith. So we humbly ask at this point, Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak to us so clearly that you would tell us and we would know who we are to be and what we are to do. So that we would leave this hour transformed by your words, strengthened by your spirit, convicted in our hearts to be not just hearers of your words but doers of your words in the world around us. 
All this we ask in your son's holy name. Amen. So last week, as we explored the doctrine of the Trinity, this idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, and we talked about the nature of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about this idea of God who is creating and still creating. And this idea of a God that is still creating is this idea of awe. Whether we're looking at the Grand Canyon or we're looking out across the prairies of the Midwest or high on the mountains of the Rockies or maybe even up to the heavens. When we take a moment and we stop and we see what God has created and is creating in us, we are struck with a sense of awe. But I thought about that again this week as I sat in the backyard, as I stared up at the skies and I watched the stars come out. You know, when the humidity is low and you're away from the lights, you see so many stars. You get a sense of the vastness of the universe to realize that there is a God that created each and every star and placed them right where they are. There's pure amazement. As I thought about that, I thought about Abraham and his encounter with God where God leads him to a mountain. He says, Abraham, I know you're an old man, but I'm calling you to be faithful, to settle in the land of Canaan, to move your whole operation there, your whole family there. And if you're faithful to me, if you will trust me, trust my promises, I will give you descendants more than the stars. The text says Abraham was an old man, a hundred years old or older. It's biblical speak for really old. And he and Sarah had been married for many years and they hadn't had no children. So it was obvious that Sarah was barren. And yet here's what God's promise was. If you will be faithful to me, I will give you descendants greater than the number of the stars. And so we know what happens in the story. Abraham trusts and he goes home and he tells Sarah this story. And Sarah just dies laughing like it was the funniest thing she had ever heard. Because maybe Sarah just knows what many of you who are grandparents know that especially after you've kept children, your grandchildren for a day or two or a week while the parents are away. Child rearing and childbearing is a gift for the young, right? It'll wear you out. So maybe she knew that, but still, Abraham says, we will be faithful. And we know what happens. He, he remains faithful, and Isaac is born, and Abraham names Isaac, Isaac, which is, means laughter just because of the whole absurdity of this episode. How absurd it would be, how funny it would be, and yet what comes from Isaac, what comes from this bloodline of the 12 tribes of Israel... The three religions of the world that claim Abraham as their father, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And maybe in the end, God gets the final word. We know that, right? Abraham saw that coming. Abraham is probably sitting there in heaven and going, yep, you were right, because there are descendants more than the stars. More than Abraham could ever imagine at his late stage in life. But God made the promise and he leaned in on faith. So if that's the story, then what about God's promises to you and to me? And so when we go into Paul's letter to the church in Rome, we begin to see a little bit of this discussion about leaning in on our faith. 
leaning in on the promises of God, having faith in those, having faith in Jesus Christ, who was raised by the one who makes the bold promises. Christ who reconciles and makes new. See, what we read here, what we know about the letter to the Romans, this is a letter that Paul really wanted to write. Now, Paul had never visited this church. He only knew about them through word of mouth, but he was smart because he realized that it was a church in Rome, which was a center of economic and political and military power of his day. All the roads led to Rome. If Paul were writing that today, he might write to the Christians in Washington, D.C. And, oh, I wonder what that letter would read like. But he was full of the fervor of the gospel. And so as we sort of break the book of Romans down, we see what Paul is writing. And we're going to hear that throughout the summer, this idea that God's lordship and the promise of the past, where what we see in the Old Testament is a God of wrath, but it gives birth This doctrine, this theology, this story gives birth to a God of grace. Or God's lordship and the promise of the present, sort of this tension between the law and grace. You know, at that time people were still holding to the law. The law says do X, Y, and Z. And the reality was that we couldn't fulfill the law. We couldn't do X, Y, and Z. We could maybe do X and Y, but not Z or somewhere thereabouts. And what we begin to realize, it doesn't matter. It's impossible for us to earn our salvation because of our brokenness as humanity. And Paul addresses the lordship of God and the problem of the future. Talking about what, how do we reconcile Israel, the chosen people, and now followers who are Gentiles? This idea, and what we begin to realize, it's a gospel lesson of grace for the entire world. And then Paul gets very personal. This idea of the lordship of God and the promise of, and the problem of daily life, sort of how we integrate grace and life and grace into our lives. What is it we do day in and day out? It's where the rubber meets the road. It's where we make a connection between what happens in here on Sunday and what we do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way up through Saturday. It's a story about I've been to church, comma, but now what? As in, what does it mean for my life? So in our passage today, what Paul is talking about is he's talking about God's promise and God's promises for the world, for you and me, the promise that God makes to us. And see, what makes God smile, what pleases God is when we lean in on faith and we have faith in those promises. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, the one raised from the dead who died for our sins, these are the things that God wants for us. These are the actions that God wants to see from us. And so as we start to look in the Bible, as we flip from the very beginning to the end, the Bible is replete with encounters between humanity and God. And in each of those, God makes some sort of a promise. It's usually a bold promise, similar to what we see in the story of Abraham. They seem impossible, they seem absurd, they seem outlandish out of this world, they seem something that we could never do, and that's the point. But what we also see is these promises are real. And I've seen this lived out in my own life. I remember sitting there one summer while on a mission trip and wrestling with what I was going to do with my future. I mean, I was dead set on economics and banking and everything financial. This was my world. I was excited about it. I still am. 
But somewhere along the line, this was laid on my heart to follow and to be a minister. And I thought, no, I don't want to do it. I protested. I'll never get seminary figured out. I don't know enough theology. I've been taking all this econometrics and statistics and learning economic theory and accounting and business law. I'm not taking but two religion classes. And almost kicking and screaming, go to seminary. And in that first year, I meet Jeffrey Wainwright, my professor, who teaches systematic theology in a way that a kid who loves spreadsheets can figure it all out and get caught up with classmates who have been studying theology for four plus years. And I remember as I was kind of coming to the end of that, trying to figure out where is this going to go? What is my calling going to look like? I thought, I only want to do youth ministry. I only want to work with teenagers. I never want to get into regular preaching. I definitely don't want to preach every week. That scares me to death. You see how that's turned out, right? The promises of God. See, we make these declarations and God says, no, this is the promise. And if you'll have faith in me, if you'll trust me, they'll come true. They'll show you the way. And so last week we heard the Great Commission where Jesus is on the mountainside talking to the Twelve and he says, go into the world, baptizing all the world in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them my ways. And what's the promise? And I will be with you always. In other words, he's telling the Eleven on the mountainside, he's telling them to go out and to do the unthinkable in a world that just crucified Christ, in a world that was revolting against him. He said, go and witness the gospel and I will be with you always. And we know what happened at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes out across the, across the assembly and all of a sudden they realize they were speaking in all the languages of the world and the apostles, they could speak back to them. They could translate and the church is born. I will be with you always was the promise, and it's still being lived out to this day. Which leads us to our front door. That promise is still standing right outside the doors of this church. I will be with you always. It's outside the doors of our homes, right there in our lives when we look at our daytimers and anything that we're keeping track of at work or at home or school. I will be with you always. Do we practice that faith? Do we lean in onto it like what we saw with Abraham? I think about the struggles of our denomination. It's not happening quick enough for some of us. It's, it's not enough change yet for some of us. But if we're faithful, if we hold true, God's promise will deliver us from this turmoil. Or think about the ministries of this church, what we're called to do. Listen, folks, to do the ministry that we are called to do, it's not 10, 11, or 12, 14, 15 of us. It takes all 2,325 members of us to do the ministries of this church and to invite others into this conversation. So what that means is that means that there are teams of people that are thinking about things that we want to do, what God's calling us to do, and we're going to pick up the phone and you're going to get the call, literally the telephone call. And when you get it, the temptation to say, no, I can't do that. That's not in my skill set. Oh, that freaks me out. Oh, I don't know that I have enough time. But if, when it won't leave you alone, that's the Holy Spirit working in your life and saying, oh, but wait, lean on my promises. I don't just call the equipped. I also equip the call, says God. And so when we say, not me, not yet, maybe we need to sort of park it and lean into our faith and say, if I'm being asked to do this, maybe there's a promise here for me. I will be with you always, says the Lord. And that will be what sustains us through the work of the church. 
Or think about situations at work or at home in the neighborhood or in your friend group where there's something that has unsettled your heart. Something you see that's troubling you. Those, my friends, that's the Holy Spirit working in and around us, pointing out areas where our work needs to be sharpened and focused. And in each of these situations, denominationally, locally in a church, at home and in the neighborhood, in our personal lives, that is God reaching out to us and saying, I have made promises to you. I will be with you always. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of people. Do this. Do we lean on those promises? Do we have faith in God to not abandon us, but to strengthen us to do the work that we are called to do? See, what Paul is telling us in this text is just looking at Abraham's story alone. That when we have faith in the promises of God, that that's the sure bet. That's, that's the thing you want to put your money on. That's the wise investment. It's rock solid because God always delivers. No doubt about it. Just look at the stars in heaven and those that claim God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those that claim Yahweh. Those that claim Muhammad. And then we think about that, this rock solid bet, descendants greater than stars, the promises of God always being fulfilled. That leads us to the next one, this faith in Jesus and his son. A few weeks ago, our conferman stood right down here and they said these words. We were asking this question. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? This simple question is not rote rhetoric. It's not something to be a box to be checked off like you check sort of the... Um, um, the, the disclosures on your software upgrades, like, have you read all? I mean, who reads all that, right? We have to say, I agree, and we go on, who knows what we've agreed to? But friends, when we say yes to this, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him? Folks, that is a commitment. That is a life-altering change. That is a statement of faith that we are making. It is the most important question we will answer in our lives. Because what we say with that, we say that I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe that he saved me from my broken, worst self so that I might be my best self. It is a life-altering question with a life-changing answer. Because it's in that moment that we confess and that we profess faith in the one who was sent to the world by God for our salvation, the one that's sent to bridge the chasm between us and God that we created. It's in that moment that we confess that Christ feeds us the finest bread and the best wine in the body and blood at Holy Communion, that Christ rescues us from despair of sin and death, that Christ intercedes on our behalf with grace that we think about this, when we say that we believe in Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father, what that means is that when the day of judgment comes, that we have an advocate sitting right there that has the ear of God who created us and says, I know these people, I love them, they're our children. Please have grace. Christ forgives us. In that moment we confess that Christ forgives us of our shortfalls and our peopleliness. You know what that means? Peopleliness. 
It's when we're sort of, we start about life and we sort of create drama and chaos and sometimes we sort of stir things up that we didn't mean to and we create things that we wish we hadn't and problems. Sometimes we act passive-aggressive. Sometimes we're just outright aggressive about things. Christ forgives us. We confess that. We confess that Christ washes us clean from our sin, that we are whiter than snow, that we have new birth by water and the Spirit. You see, Jesus did this for the disciples, for the 12, and he does it for us. And so God smiles and we have faith in his son. We have faith in the one that died on the cross for us and was raised from the dead. And we live out his words and we mimic them in our lives. We internalize his teachings and the, the product for that, the return on that investment, if you will, the fruit of that is we embody the love that Jesus taught us. Remember, he told us to love our God with all of our heart and all of our might. To love our neighbor to love our enemy, to love one another, to love ourselves. See, in that moment, those five examples, those five images of love, what we're reminded is that we are all worthy of grace, that we're all worthy of redemption, that we are all children of God, and it doesn't matter what flag is flying out in front of our houses, that we all matter. That we're all children of God who Christ died on the cross for us. And so we have faith in Christ. We have faith in his son. We have faith in that kind of love. And we do our best to mimic it in the world around us. Then God is truly pleased. The promises of God become really true and real in front of us. So think about what we exist to do. What are the people called Centenary United Methodist Church? What are we called to do? Friends, we are in the faith business. We follow the God who calls us, who calls us to believe in the impossible, to do the impossible because we are strengthened by him. We are part of the descendants more than stars. We're the ones who answer to my love will save because we know that in our lives that Christ's love has saved us. Though he calls us to follow him, to be disciples, that we know that it will work itself out. The road may not be easy, the road may be tough at times, but that we are not alone no matter the journey. Because we know in our heart of hearts that the promises of God are true. We know that the love of Christ has saved us. So our calling today, our mission today is to take these words that we read here to know what we know about the promises of God and the love of Christ and to go boldly into the world with a conviction of our heart to go where God leads us. Because no matter the turmoil and the the trauma and the the discomfort that is around us and maybe even within us, that God's promises are true. That amazing things, unworldly things, impossible things will happen because of our faith in him. Because our faith in Christ. Because we know the love of God. And this, my friends, if you don't get it to its fullest, look at what we said at the very beginning. In that creed, we believe in God who is creating and is still creating. That, my friends, is our calling this day. To anchor our lives in the promise and the reckoning of God.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.